0: You're present in all this creation that surrounds us, this beautiful view we have of your mountains. You're the God of the mountains and the depths of the sea, the God of the universe. But what we want for, what we're asking for, what we're singing about is to be with you in your place in the new heaven and the new earth forever. Without any the distractions, without the sin in our lives, without the effects of sin. We want to be free from all that, and we will be, which is what Jesus came to make happen for those who trust in him. And so we thank you, Lord, for the great hope that we have, and we ask that you bless our time this morning here in this place you've made, and that you'd be honored in all that we do. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. Welcome, everybody. All right, if you drove here like an hour and 45 minutes, thank you. I mean, everybody did, pretty much, but like, not this morning, right? So, thank you. You could have just slept in, or whatever, and you decided to make the drive, so we really appreciate that. It still feels like our church gathered, even though we're in a different place, and I'm so happy about that. Um, Just two things that I want to say by way of our church life, beyond today. This week, we're not going to start discipleship groups, yet. That's mainly because I need to get together with the discipleship group leaders and kind of uh, think through what we're going to be doing. And then also we might need to order a couple of materials, so we got to get those. So there's a little bit of stuff that has to happen. And also, the other thing that I want to announce is next Sunday is our all-church meeting. And so we also want to re-envision everybody for discipleship groups and whatnot. It's going to be right after our regular Sunday morning service. Um, maybe a 15-minute break to get kids and whatnot, but then after that we'll have maybe half an hour meeting I don't even know if it'll last that long. We're not really changing much. So just FYI uh, Steady as she goes so but we will talk about finances. We'll talk about what we're going to be doing in the year to come So uh, stay a little bit longer next Sunday after church for that. Okay, so the rest I want to talk about is this retreat first of all, we got a lot of people to thank pulling this off uh, and it was great it was really fun and a lot of us are really tired right now <laughs> because we played human foosball and nine square and did ropes course and some people took a hike and then some people didn't have enough and they stayed up later to play bocce and so forth um, so it was really uh, packed with stuff but there was, it was also optional if you wanted to sleep and some people did they just slept, and that's great. So we wanted to make it something that you would go back refreshed having been there, and I think it accomplished that. So I want to thank the people who made it happen. I want to first say thank you, deacons. Uh, So Danny, Rick, David, uh, these guys do that behind-the-scenes stuff to make things happen. I think it was December or January when Danny started making the phone calls and finding a place for us to have this. And then following up that whole thing and doing all the spreadsheets and the finances and blah, blah, blah. So a lot of stuff. Danny, thank you for that. Rick was involved also in helping with some of the supplies and the games, I think, as part of the fun squad. And uh, David got us all set up here for a sound and projection today, which, yay! Didn't know if we were going to make that happen, but it worked. Um, But i got to say a special shout-out to Ann Holmerhausen. Okay? (laughs) Like we played this scavenger hunt game yesterday, and when I heard scavenger hunt, I thought of the way I would do it, which is just a clue to a place, and then there's a thing that you get, and then you get all those things, and you bring them back, and yay, you won. Not that. There, was, there were clues that led to places that had riddles that we had to solve to figure out where the next place was, and then there was things to do, activities, before we could go get the next thing. Like take a picture. I, I thought I would never do this. A picture with chubby bunnies. Have you ever done that in a youth group where you stuff as many marshmallows in your mouth as you can, but then we had to hold it and take a selfie of the whole group. And it took us a while. We were having camera problems. So we were like for a good minute and a half with our mouth stuffed with marshmallows taking this picture. That's why our team did not come in first place. You to say. We had a few of those things happen. Okay, it's Because we were enjoying the moment. We were enjoying all this creativity that Anne had brought to us. We didn't just run, yeah, yeah. Our motives were pure, I'm telling you. Uh, but thank you, Ann, for doing all that. She actually made a reconnaissance trip up here, down here whatever, to first scope out the place so that she could make all those clues and all those places, so really cool, um, but the fun spot also includes Becca, who helped us with all the food things and uh, with, there was more yeah, the games, you were also part of planning all that putting the whole agenda together so that we could just walk into it and not have to think about it at all so, excellent job on their part and also, did you happen to notice that there's a newly discovered talent in the room we have Becca and Todd up here yeah. singing, leading worship. Like, who knew? <laughs> uh, so, did I miss? Ah, oh, yes. Jamie providing child care, which we're going to enjoy in just a few minutes. She, she brought all the goodies from our building, and they're all here, and it's all set up. So, I'll, I'll show you where that goes, where the kids go soon. And then Hannah supplied all the communion things, too, which... Which we've got the real bread, the real juice, set it all up for. So, and then there's other servants I know that, you know, brought stuff and, and whatnot. So thank you. Uh, Steve was shuttling cars this morning. I saw that. So anyway, thanks church for, for making this happen. Uh, we really, really have enjoyed being here. And I just have to say a couple things. Um, there were these trophies for the blue team. Was the blue team? Yeah. Because they won the scavenger hunt. And so you don't want to go home without this. I see that there's like five or six. There's, there's a bunch mm-hmm. back there. And perhaps you thought, oh, I don't need that. But like you want this memory. <laughs> you want this on your mantle. You want it on your desk to remember this moment where you were with the church and you won a hard-earned trophy here. So like they're back there. there will be some valuable one day. They will be. They'll be collector's items. You can sell us on eBay for a lot of money, like in, in 40 years. So hang on for that. A um, couple things by way of logistics. There's a bunch of you here, only 19 of us paid for lunch. So don't go to lunch unless you know you paid to have lunch, because <laughs> they aren't ready to, to serve everybody. That's just the, for the 19 people who actually did sign up for that. Uh, but the rest of you Woodland Park is like 10 minutes down the road and there's lots of places to go there um, checking out is easy you just leave you don't have to sign anything or drop off a key or anything um, it's pretty easy um, and that was it that's the logistics okay uh, we have child care and it is in the fireside room which is through that door keep going and it'll be the first door on your right Yes, Jamie is ready to go. We've got childcare care helpers, I think, too. So thank you, helpers. And that's through three years old, am I right? Yeah, three years old. Sweet. We are not doing Galatians today wanted to do something uh, different and special for our time here. So instead, if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn in it to Mark chapter 1. We're going to read a fair amount of text today. Um, everything that we're going to read happens in one 24-hour period of Jesus' life. Uh, you, you could call it day one of Jesus' public ministry as Mark records it. And let me just, before we read it, let me just explain why we're going to look at this passage. Um, It's because we've been up here now for a couple of days. We've we've escaped from the daily grind of our lives. We've come up here to enjoy this place, to enjoy each other. And now in about an hour or so, we're going to re-enter our normal lives. And as soon as we get home... The emails and the voicemails are waiting for us. The bills to be paid, the appointments to keep, the jobs to work. We'll be making decisions about how to spend our time and our money and what goals we have to pursue. So the question that I want to address today is this. What principles are going to guide you as you do that? How are you going to decide when you come back down off the mountain? What you say yes to, and what you say no to. What what are the priorities for our lives? We have answers in the first day of Jesus' public ministry. The passage begins right after he had called his first four apostles, his first four disciples, um, Peter and Andrew, James and John. He says to them, follow me. Well, then Mark records what does day one look like. As you're following Jesus. Where is he going? What, what are his priorities? Who is he? What are his priorities? So that's where we're going to find out. What are the priorities for us as Jesus followers? So let's read Mark 1, 21 to 39. And then we'll break. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on that Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. be silent, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and Casting out demons. Let's pray. We ask you Lord. You help us to. Enter into that experience. That the disciples did. To see what you saw. What they saw. To see with our minds eye. To see you. In all of your glory. And to. Recognize what you have come to do. Why you came out what you were preaching, what you were doing here, what you're still doing in the world. We ask you for your help in knowing what our priorities are as followers. We ask it in your name. Amen. We'll look at three priorities of a Jesus follower from what we read. They are amazement at Jesus. Dependence on God and clarity about our calling. We'll reference all three of those as we go. Let's start with amazement at Jesus. This day that we just read about, this 24-hour period, it starts out with Jesus in a local synagogue where he's teaching. And he probably has open the text of the Hebrew Bible, probably reading from a scroll, and he's, he's, uh, he's expounding, he's explaining, he's talking about it. And then suddenly, a man speaks up, it becomes obvious that there's something not right with this guy. Yeah. It turns out that he has an unclean spirit. He has a demon, and this demon is afraid of Jesus. This demon recognizes him. And he knows him by name as Jesus of Nazareth. He says, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And then Jesus, with absolute authority, commands the demon to come out. And it, it says, it obeys. <laughs> Immediately obeys. And creates quite a spectacle as, as it obeys. convulsing the guy, throwing him around, screaming. But then it's pretty obvious that it's over. Now, that would get everybody's attention if that happened today, right? In this room. <laughs> if, 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 uh, if start, suddenly, you know, somebody here starts acting strange and you realize, oh, oh that's not right. And then and there's a demon and then there's this deliverance and there's this crazy stuff. You would think that would be the only thing you'd remember from this weekend. Like, you wouldn't remember the beautiful view of Pikes Peak or the games we played. You just remember that event where, Man, did you did you see did you hear about what happened at our meeting? Like it was shocking. It was unusual. These kinds of things don't happen and their response was like that. Verse 27 describes their reaction. They were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves saying, "What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands the unclean spirits and they obey him." That word amazement. That's what I'm latching on to. Uh, We sing about amazing grace, and sometimes we don't know what that even means. It's it's part of the song, but amazing is a little bit of like that, that that scene out there of Pike's Peak. It's like, wow, I've got to stop and look at this, because this I don't see every day. It it, it moves you. It strikes you. it, It grabs your attention, and you want more of it amazing things we want more of well jesus is amazing they had the right response he's amazing because of who he is and what he does if we get a window into who he is in what they said about his teaching verse 22 says he taught as one who has authority and not as the scribes the scribes were the religious teachers of the day. They, they were the ones who would try and interpret the scriptures as best as they can, explaining what they think it means. We're still doing that today. I'm doing that right now, explaining the scriptures as best I can. But Jesus isn't just another person who's trying to discern God's words that are written down in a book. Because Jesus comes as the author of that book, we might say. As as God incarnate, God Come to us in a person in human flesh so that when he speaks, it has this authority as like the final word. (laughs) Like this is God himself explaining his words right now. That's the kind of effect that they had. They were like, whoa, you don't talk like our other teachers. There's this presence. There's this authority of like the author of the scriptures. Because he's the Holy One of God. The demons said that themselves. In in Jesus, we have the Creator making an appearance in human flesh. So that when he speaks, there's no question about what you're hearing. There's no wondering whether or not it's accurate. If Jesus says something, then that's just the way it is. There's no argument. He has the answers. To everything, all the things that, that matter, all the big questions that we have in life. Like, why are we here? And what's wrong with the world? And how can what's wrong be made right? He, he has the answer. It's the final answer. He doesn't have the limitations we have in discerning things rightly. I was just reading an article recently that, that brought this home to me. The article was about a, a picture that the James Webb Space Telescope has taken recently of this section of the sky that's got just galaxies galore. I mean, it's just packed full of galaxies. And as they're going through this picture, they notice that that down in the bottom of the frame, there's these two galaxies that are right next to each other that form a perfect question mark from our vantage point. Like it's an actual question mark in space. (laughs) And the article was called The Biggest Question Mark in Astronomy. You're looking at it. And, and here's how the article ended, which I thought was honest about the limitations of what we can know, what even the brightest minds can know, uh, even in our day. The journalist wrote, once the web or those telescope has completed its rounds of investigations two decades from now, we might know a little bit more about how this bowl of stars works, but we still won't know why we're here. The question mark, our profound cosmic ignorance, is one of the great gifts of science. Well, I don't know that that's a great gift, but I can tell you this. Jesus does not suffer from cosmic ignorance. He knows why we're here. We already have that answer. He also knows what's wrong with the world and how what's wrong with it can be made right. We are here because God created us in His image to do His kinds of things on the world, to, to represent Him. And man's sin is what's wrong with the world. We broke it by disobeying God, rebelling, going our own way. And Jesus came to make it right by bearing the blame for our sin so that we could be right with God. And we will inherit a renewed world where all of this stuff is going to be fixed. He has authority to tell us that. That is how it is. He speaks with authority because he's the Holy One of God. So that teaching gives us a window into who he is. But also he's amazing because of what he does. And that's what the group was responding to. When he cast out the demon, that's what got their attention. His words are one thing, but also we we think, well, words are good, but what about actions? Well, he's got both because he has power to back up his words. (laughs) The creator of the universe has absolute control over everything in the universe, whether that's physical things or demonic things. We see him casting out a demon with a word. Later on, he's healing sickness. Simon Peter's mother-in-law, the fever, leaves her. Just because he takes her by the hand and lifts her up. Dozens of people show up at the door later on, wanting to be healed of all manner of things. And he does every single one. He heals everything. He doesn't come up on anything that he's like, oh, I'm not ready for that. Um, That one's too hard for me. No, everything, no problem. And he frees people from demons, from spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places that have great power, but they don't have his power. Jesus is amazing because he operates with God's power over forces of evil and the physical world itself. There's no affliction, there's no malady, no misery that he can't change and just instantaneously change, if that's what his desire is. He's still doing those things through the Holy Spirit, our lives are still full of trials and suffering, that's true. And yet, our lives are also filled with, if, we're, if we have eyes to see it, they're also filled with mercies, with His deliverances, with, with His grace active in our lives, where He's relieving us for many things, where He's doing things sometimes miraculously. We've seen miraculous healings. Sometimes it's through more normal means. But many of us can point to times when God has been merciful to us To relieve us in our suffering. We can also point to ways God has delivered us from evil. As believers in Christ. Sometimes from harm by other people. But also from the evil in our own hearts. Like if you're a believer in Christ. If you're a Jesus follower. And you're born again. You're a new creature. Then the evil in your own heart is changing. It's going away. Bit by bit. You're becoming a new person. You're being delivered continually from evil as, as it's getting out of your system and you're following him more like, more like he lived. And that's a transformation that happens in a believer. That's miraculous. If you've experienced the deliverance from an addiction, if you're more humble than you were before, if you love God and love your neighbor, you're being delivered from evil. And you have Jesus to thank for that. Because he's changing us by his spirit. Mark's gospel starts out with these things that Jesus was doing and what he was teaching. Because we need to see up front that he genuinely is amazing. He is not like everybody else. Because he is God in the flesh. And that's important if you're going to be a Jesus follower. That you know that about. Because if you're not amazed, you're not not likely to follow him. We follow people that we're amazed at. Well, he's more amazing than than anyone else that you can imagine. Especially because of his dying love for you on the cross. It's going to take some intentionality, though, to, to be amazed at Christ. Because unlike... In that room where there was a demonic deliverance and people being healed like we aren't seeing it like in that kind of a setting anymore we have to see it more and more with our mind's eye we have to recognize god's fingerprints on everything we have to recognize the things that jesus is doing one of the main places we look for that is in the scriptures because like the mountains tell us something about god they, the, the skies show us his handiwork so there's things you can learn about God but to learn about Jesus and his dying love and his sacrifice and, and his his power and his promises you have to go into the Bible to find those things that's where, that's where we learn things like what we've been studying in Galatians that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us like like taking time to think through what does that really mean will help us to be amazed at Jesus that he bore the curse he bore God's wrath he he was rejected forsaken by his own father though he was sinless so that we wouldn't be treated that way so that we wouldn't be judged for our sin So, but it takes thinking through that and seeing that to appreciate it. And then we go, that's amazing. There's nobody else like that. Nobody that could do that for me. Except Jesus. And you didn't have to. That's how we start to get that affection. That's how we start get the emotions. That are commanded in scripture. Like rejoice always. <laughs> rejoice in the Lord always. You get that emotional reaction. that That visceral reaction like these people had. When we start to see with our mind's eye that He is all full of all authority, including to forgive sin, and yet He dies for me as a servant—that's what's going to take for us to to be amazed. And it's not just working it up; He actually is that. He actually is amazing, and that's somebody that we'll follow. Following Jesus is not the religious thing to do. It's the sensible thing to do. Because nobody else is like him. But that's the first priority. To be amazed at Jesus. The second priority that I see here is dependence on God. If If we're followers of Jesus, we're going to be dependent on God. I was going to say that we'll have a committed devotional life... Which wouldn't be wrong, but the, the essence of a, of a devotional life is the practice of actually depending on God. That, that God the person, God the Trinity, we are functionally relying on Him. So that's saying more than just you have a devotional life. It's the person that you're devoted to that matters. And we are dependent on God. So we see this in verse 35. This is what it says. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So Jesus wanted to be alone. He wanted to be alone with God. He went out to a lonely place, a desolate place, a solitary place. And when he got there, he talked to God, he prayed. He did what Scripture says you do when you pray, which includes things like praise and thanks, recounting God's goodness and His mighty works. When when you pray, you also pour out your heart to God. The Psalms tell us to do that. Pour out your heart to God. God is a refuge for us. You bear your soul. You bear your longings, your challenges. You cast your cares onto Him. When you pray, this is the thing we mostly think of, you ask God for things. You bring your requests. And Jesus modeled it for us. He taught us the Lord's Prayer, which includes, give us this day our daily bread. Well, Jesus himself prayed like that. In Luke 21, in the 1021, he rejoiced and said, I thank you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. He praised his Father for his qualities. And then in the garden of Gethsemane, he poured out his heart to God and made a request. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet... Not what I will, but what you will. Jesus prayed in dependence on God. Prayer is a way of practicing dependence. It's acknowledging that God is there. He rules the world in all of his wisdom and love. He's somebody I can trust with my deepest thoughts. And I need him. I must commune with him. I am dependent upon God to do this life. And that is how Jesus lived. He lived as one who was totally dependent on God. And that might sound strange. Because we just said that Jesus is actually God, the Son in the flesh. And that he has all authority and that he's got power to do anything. And so if that's true, then why does he even need to pray? Is he just talking to himself? Doesn't he have resident within him all that he needs in order to do this life? Why does he need to pray? And yet he does pray. And the reason he did is because Jesus was and is also fully human. And humans are created by God and dependent upon their creator. For our very existence. In the mystery of the God man, Jesus lived a fully human life as a created being who is totally dependent on God for his life. When he prayed, he was actually depending on God, not just pretending. He was asking God for everything he needed in order to carry out his mission on earth to be our Savior. Now when we ask God for things, or at least when I do, what, I, what often motivates my prayers is worry and fear and frustration, which are all sinful fruits of unbelief. But Jesus is sinless, so that never motivated his prayers. Nevertheless, he prayed, and that teaches us something. It means that we don't pray because we're sinners, we pray because we're humans. Because we're created, and we depend on our Creator to live. And Jesus, as a fully human person, did that. He shows us how to do it. He shows us what it looks like to be fully functioning as one of God's creatures, as created in His image. Fully functioning in God's image looks like, I depend on you for everything. To not do that is independence from God, which is sin. We are dependent on Him for everything. Let me just give an illustration of what it might look like in real life to depend on God, like practically. Of course it's in prayer, but but it's more than just prayer. It's It's a mindset that we cultivate and an intention of our heart. I was watching an interview the other day by... It was Paul Tripp, some of you know Paul, Paul Tripp, he's a counselor from decades ago, written on everything, everything's great, amazing, parenting, you know, marriage, you name it, the guy's written on it. So he's, he's interviewing different people from Christianity, uh, different leaders, and he was interviewing Dave Harvey, who is one of the uh, founding leaders of our denomination, and David has gone, Dave Harvey, he's gone on to lead some other things, other Christian networks. But they're having this conversation, and he's asking Dave about some stuff going on in his life because they've been friends for a long time. And uh, Dave is explaining some really tragic, heart wrenching things that were going on in his family and in ministry over the last twelve years. And he's trying and he's explaining what God is doing in that in his own life. And and he brought up Second Corinthians one eight and nine, um, and that is a passage where the Apostle Paul describes this hard season in his life where he and his co-laborers were doing the work of planting and strengthening churches and they ran into so much opposition that they they thought they were going to die they really thought they were going to die and this is what paul said we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. So Dave Harvey's point and the point of the text is that when we get into situations where we feel overwhelmed, when we know that the burdens we face are beyond our strength, God has a purpose in that. His purpose is is to get us to stop relying on ourselves and rely on God instead. Rely means depend on with full trust and confidence. God wants us in every situation to actively put our trust and confidence in Him and what He is able to do, what He has promised He will do, rather than in our own ability to handle the situation. Now, I was feeling overwhelmed with my responsibilities as I was listening to this interview, and it dawned on me that the feeling of being overwhelmed is the result of depending or relying on myself. Like, the reason I feel overwhelmed is because I'm really trying to do it myself. I I really think That if I can just manage all the plates that are in the air, if I can just keep them all spinning, I'll be good. And if you add one more plate, I'll think, well, I think I can add that one. I think I can add one more. I think i got the capacity for that. But I'm getting overwhelmed as I'm doing that. And why? Because I'm still thinking I can do it. But God in his mercy, what he'll do is he'll give you so many spinning plates or so many hard situations that you have to realize, I can't do it. This really is beyond my strength. And then you'll say, now you're getting it. (laughs) Even those days where you thought you had it all figured out, you still weren't able to do all that. It's only happening because of my grace working in your life. I've been thinking about that every day since then. I've been making it a habit to review 2 Corinthians 1, 8, 9 every day. Because what what it says is, if I just release the outcomes to God, if I just yield to Him and trust Him to do what He promises to do in my life, then I'm not the one that has to keep all the plates made. I just have to be faithful to do what I can do, like, I don't just sit, sit around. I, I do obey God. I do plan sermons and do these other things. But, like, the outcomes, I don't have to worry about the outcomes. That's in God's hands. God's the only one that can create outcomes. And so the burden goes off. And as I've been thinking about that more and more, I've been getting more peace. And less of the overwhelm. I think that will help all of us. He wants us to rely not on ourselves. Not be self-dependent. Rely on Him. He'll even give us to the point of feeling like we're going to die to get us to rely on Him. Because relying on Him is good. It's what it looks like to be a redeemed human. And that's where we're going to find our joy. The reality, though, is that each of us naturally relies on ourselves. Even the Apostle Paul, he, he did. He said, that's what the lesson was for me. Jesus shows us what it's looked like to, to rely on God, and he did it perfectly. That's why he was never worried, he was never afraid, he never responded sinfully to any circumstances, because he completely trusted his Heavenly Father. And one of the ways we see that that's how he lived, was he got up very early in the morning, while it was still dark. He departed and went out to a lonely place, and there he prayed. He prayed. Do you have a habit like that in your life? Do you have a habit of getting alone with God? Giving Him praise, pouring out your heart to Him, asking Him what you need, for what you need to go through life? If not, or if it's inconsistent, there's no reason that you can't start today. So can I make a request of you? When you go back to your lives after you leave here, would you schedule when and how you're going to get alone with God and talk to him on a regular basis. And I would add, when you're going to also listen to him (laughs) as you pour out over his word, which is where he's speaking to us primarily. So take some concrete step in that direction. You use your technology to do that if you want. You know, set the alarms on your phone, put it in your planner, Get somebody to help you figure out what's the right way to do this. Help what's working for them. But like do something. Make a concrete move to to getting time with God. And praying and hearing from Him. He wants you to rely on Him. And that's one of the main ways you functionally do it. And if you say, I don't see how I can make time for this in my life. Like you don't know what my job looks like. You don't know how many kids are in my house, etc. Remember, Jesus had a really good reason to skip that early morning time with God. Because remember what happened before this. That night, it said the whole city showed up at the door of the house after at sundown. So right when his long ministry day was over and he's winding down, you know, I'm gonna go to sleep, the the fifty people show up at the door saying we want you <laughs> we need to be healed we got demons here and so that's what he does probably late into the night and nobody would say uh, well you know you you they, they wouldn't fault him for sleeping in you know if you had a long day if you had a 15 17 hour day you'd say yeah you go ahead and sleep in tomorrow he had a reason he could have done that humanly speaking what does he do? It says, very early in the morning. <laughs> it was still dark. It was 4.30 a.m. kind of dark. That's when he went to be alone with God. What would you get up for at 4.30 to do? Especially if you hadn't slept very long that night. Like It would have to be pretty important, wouldn't it? For you to get up after maybe four or five hours of sleep. You, you wouldn't do that unless it was something really important. Well, Jesus is showing us how important it is. Even though I want to sleep, my body's telling me three more hours, hit the snooze button. No, I have to do this because that's what dependence looks like. I want to be with my Heavenly Father. I have to be alone with them. That's how important it is for us to depend on God in the Word and prayer. That doesn't mean necessarily that you get up at 4.30 a.m. every day. But it does mean you do what it takes. You find the time. We, we find time for what matters to us. I guarantee you. Your schedule is full of things that you have found time to do. Some of it was dictated to you, but a lot of it we dictate because it's what we think is important. Well, this is more important than the rest of that because we depend on God for our very life. That relationship with Him is important. I think it was Susanna Wesley. She had 19 kids and uh, her way of making sure she had time with God was she'd throw her apron over her head. And if the apron was over her head, everybody knew, don't mess with Mom. (laughs) She's got her Bible under that apron, and she's reading, and she's praying. And then when it was done, she'd take it off. So there's ways, right? We just try and find the way. Because it is that important. It's a priority. Here's the last priority to draw attention to. Which is just clarity about our calling. Here's how Jesus' prayer time ended. And what he went on to do. In verses 36 to 39. Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him. Everyone is looking for you. He said to them. Let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So apparently, while Jesus is having his time alone with the Father, disciples wake up, and they realize Jesus isn't here. And probably some leftovers, some people that didn't come last night, show up. Hey, you know, we want the sequel. Uh, We want the good times to keep rolling here. We need more healing. There's more demons out there. And so the disciples are flustered or whatever. And they say, hey, I think I know where he is. And so they go and get Jesus. Find out where he is. And uh, they say, hey, everybody's looking for you. So, come on. (laughs) We got a bunch of people at the door that want you, Jesus. And they are expecting him to say something like, oh, thank you for telling me. I'll get right on that, you know? I can't turn down and offer to help somebody. But what does he say? Let's go on to the next. town. I've got other business to do. I must preach there. That is why I came out. He knew what his calling was. He was clear about what God had sent him to do. He knew what his mission on earth was, and his mission wasn't ultimately to heal people and cast out demons, as wonderful as that is. His mission was to bring good news of ultimate deliverance from our sins by his saving work on the cross. In Mark 1.15, it says, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God And saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Now at that point, the gospel wasn't revealed yet in all of its details. The cross hadn't happened yet, but what Jesus was telling people is that by him entering the world, God was bringing salvation. God was bringing to them their Messiah, the the long-awaited one who would deliver them from evil and from their enemies. God was bringing good news of salvation from all that plagues us, from our sin and the miseries in the world and everything that affects us. So the healing, the casting out of demons, that was all evidence That the kingdom of God really is at hand. That God is breaking into this world with new power, new life, a foretaste of a perfected world. It's not all here yet, but it's coming, and it's coming in this person of Jesus. That's where deliverance comes from. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. The one who's going to break us free from this power of evil. And Jesus knew that the climax for that whole thing was going to be the cross not the physical healings that he was doing on people not to be morbid but every one of us is going to die everybody that he healed died every demon that was delivered that person still died what really matters what really the critical issue is what happens after that Will we live rejoicing in resurrected bodies in a renewed world with God forever? Or will we suffer the eternal consequences of our sins under God's judgment? The one deciding factor that answers which way it's going to be is do you repent and believe in the gospel? Do you believe Jesus is the Savior who came, lived, died, rose again for your sins? To make you right with God. Jesus was clear about his calling. Which was that. That message. The gospel was his calling. and So he said no to the disciples who wanted the good times to keep rolling. And if we follow Jesus, then bringing good news into the world becomes our calling also. It becomes the north star that guides our lives. To use the phrase in Revelation 14, we follow the lamb wherever he goes. Jesus the lamb is spreading the, to the world the news and reality of his coming kingdom to those who trust in him. So if we're following him, that's what we're going to be about. Followers give up the right to decide for themselves what they're going to be about. Followers follow a leader who's leading us somewhere. And he's pretty clear about his mission is to bring people to God through his sacrificial death. And we have a part to play in that. We need clarity that. That's, that's, our, that's our calling is, is to be a part of this gospel mission in the world to, to bring the reality of his kingdom into the experience of people and to bring the, the message of the way into that kingdom to people. That's the big picture calling that we have if we follow Jesus. And so that is a, sort of, is a guide for us as we're making all of our decisions. Um, we're going to have lots of people who want us to do something else. We're going to have ideas ourselves about what we want to do. When we get back to home, uh, you're going to find that everyone is looking for you. <laughs> to, say, to say it that way. The, the emails, the voicemails, the text messages, the invitations to this or that event. Um, not to mention the plans that we have for our lives, the, the things that we want to do. So how are we going to navigate all of that? How are we going to separate the urgent from the priority? How are we going to stay on track and follow Jesus? Well, it isn't necessarily going to mean quitting our jobs and becoming apostles like Peter and Andrew. That, not, that, that job description was for them. They did give up their fishing careers for that. God's not saying that everybody needs to do something like that. For most of, it, most of us, it doesn't mean going into full-time ministry, uh, like evangelist, church planner, pastor. That was God's call on my life. That was a specific call for me, but it's not for everybody. For most of us, it's going to mean being salt and light in the world, to use Jesus' uh, terms. It's going to mean going back to the lives that we have right now, but intentionally living out of his goodness, his mercies towards us, and then extending the reality of that to other people through good works and also through our words. It's it's like what Peter would say later, that we're always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So we're we're going about doing good works, like Jesus was doing. Healing people, casting out demons. Those were good works. He was making it real. This kingdom is coming, and it looks like this. It feels like that. It feels like deliverance and freedom and restoration. And so the good works are are a way of doing that. This is what the kingdom looks like. And now, here's how that kingdom comes. It comes through this person, Jesus, who, who gives us salvation through his cross. So we're prepared to give a a defense of that hope. But we're going about our business. We're going about our jobs and our neighbors and whatever we're doing. But we're doing good works in His name and looking for those opportunities to say something about why we're doing this and what it points to. That's how we're a part of that great mission. That's how we're following Jesus. We let our light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. is in heaven what does that mean for your life starting this afternoon um what will you do differently i can't say exactly but i know one thing it means sometimes you're going to have to say no to something that's good for something that's more important you're gonna have to say no to something that's urgent because there's something that's a better more of a priority you're definitely going to have to say no to anything that's sinful, something that's leading you astray from following Jesus yourself. I think we kind of know our consciences if they're working properly. We know when we're just doing something because we want to, um, or just because somebody else wants us to do it. But we never really asked ourselves, is this consistent with living in step with the gospel or not? So we'll need to ask questions of all the opportunities we have, the desires we have, goals we set. We've got to ask ourselves things like, will this take me closer to Christ or farther away? Will it damage my witness to non-believers? Am I helping or hindering the church in its mission to reach the lost, to plant churches, to extend the gospel? Those are the kind of questions we ask. Because we have a calling. And when it's clear in our minds, we evaluate everything else in light of that calling. So following Jesus is going to involve a lot of let us go on to the next town moments. (laughs) When somebody's in your ear or your own heart is saying, I want to do this, but you're like, but no. Like, no, I can't. I have to do this other thing. But we're always saying no to a. We're, in saying no, we're saying yes to something even better, which is following the Lamb wherever He goes. And wherever He goes, that's where life is. I'll just close with this. Let, let's, let's take these priorities off of this mountain and into our daily lives. We have an amazing Savior, He's worthy of us following Him. And we are de- entirely dependent on God to follow him. But with God's strong hand and with his many promises, we have what we need to do our part in the great calling of bringing the gospel to the world we live in. So may may the Lord equip us and send us out joyfully into the places he'll already put us. And we're following the Lamb. He's there. He's wherever you are. He's in your home. He's in your workplace. He's in your school. He's there. Just follow him. You know he's going to take you in a good place. It's going to have a hard road, but it's going to be going in the right way the way it leads the life. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you brought us here. I think we followed you here to this place to get away from the, the immediate noise of our, of our lives and all the things that distract and the, and the routines we're in. And now we ask you for clarity as we go back, thinking through, okay, what what might need to change? Am I, am I making choices the right way here? Am I thinking through our mission, our call? We ask you to help us with that. But especially help us, Lord, to just feel the relief of depending on you. Uh, The relief of not having to control outcomes. Because that's all in your hand. You're the one who's saving the world, not us. We thank you for that security that we have. Bless us as we go. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.